Our text is found in the verse 28 of Luke chapter 21. And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. Let us seek the Lord for prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the singing of these hymns, which remind us so much of this very fact that Christ is returning. As we contemplate this subject tonight, we pray for the blessing of God, the power of the Holy Ghost, and the fear of the Lord. And so we commit ourselves unto you. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Amen. Lift up your heads. Redemption is drawing nigh. God has given us time. We have all had this precious gift of time. We have the gift of life, but life lives in time. And it is time that will run life down, for no one can be here forever. And time likewise will run the world down, because there is coming a day when time shall be no more. And ultimately, every one of us, personally and individually, will face out into eternity, because we're onward bound. We're onward bound through the sunshine and clouds of this world. We're onward bound through childhood and youth and into middle age and old age. We're onward bound to eternity. That is our destination. And therefore, this gift of time that God has given to every one of us is a, a very precious gift, because the whole business of time is that we might be prepared for eternity. That's why we've got time. That's why you're alive that you might be prepared for eternity. And if you travel through time and never make this preparation for eternity, then you have wasted your time. You've wasted the years. You've wasted something that is very precious. You've squandered that time on something else, something that will fade away something that is of no consequence, something that seemed important at that moment, but it has no relevance in the light of eternity. And so it is vital that you understand this, that you're in a gospel meeting tonight, and this is a precious moment that God has given to you. And the whole purpose of this moment is that you might be prepared for the time when you will meet God. Here in Luke chapter 21, in the verse 36, the Lord said, Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. To stand before the Son of Man. One day we're going to stand before God. When time ends, 
We won't be plunged into an abyss of nothingness. No feeling, no reality, no consciousness. An empty void. It won't be like that. It'll be real. There'll be feeling and there'll be thought. Because we'll meet God. We'll meet God not in the body but in the soul. We'll meet God in the spirit. The real you, the real me will meet God. And we need to be prepared for this moment. And therefore the Lord said in verse 34, he said, take heed to yourselves. Take heed. We're to think about this carefully. We're to take this seriously. This is not something to allow to pass over our heads. We can't afford to allow this message to pass over our heads. This message has got to grip us and it's got to grasp us. Because it doesn't come from a preacher, it doesn't come from the lips of a man, it comes from the lips of Jesus Christ himself. Because this is Christ's sermon. Christ's sermon to his people. Just before he would go to the cross. And he talks about the future, he talks about eternity. And he talks about his coming again. And therefore he says in verse 28 of Luke 21, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up, lift up your heads, for redemption draweth nigh. You see, he's talking about the end of the world here. And to most people in society, the end of the world seems to be a very fearful thing. To think of this world ending, time being no more. Think of great cataclysms in the universe, and this world being transformed into a ball of fire. The very thought of it puts fear into the hearts of men and women. And indeed, when that day comes, the Lord Jesus Christ says here in Luke 21, 26, that men's hearts would be failing them for fear. But yet, he says to his people here, lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And those are very significant words. Whenever we think of someone's head being lifted up, we think of someone that is confident. They're bright with anticipation. As someone once said, you look up for inspiration, but you look down in desperation. Someone who looks down all the time, that betrays a, a general lack of confidence, an unwillingness to meet the other person in the eye, talk to them face to face. Sometimes we say there's something rather shifty about the person that is unwilling to look up. And so this speaks of confidence. And here we have Christ coming. The Lord is saying to his people, when that day dawns, you'll be able to look up because you will have made your preparation. Your redemption draweth nigh. It is my prayer that there is not one person here who will not be able to look up when Jesus Christ returns. But these words lift up your heads. They have an even wider significance than the second coming of Christ. They have a significance for now, and they have a significance for tomorrow, 
They have a significance for everything that we face in life. They speak of the peace that the Christian has. The peace that you don't have if you do not know the Lord this evening. And so let us consider these words. Lift up your heads. And let's think about what they really mean. They mean that the Christian has hope for troubled times. Whenever we look at this discourse in Luke chapter 21, it's known as the Olivet Discourse. The words that the Lord brought to his disciples on the Mount of Olives, we have this discourse in Matthew's Gospel and Mark's Gospel as well. And whenever I look at these times the Lord is referring to, well, I think I can summarize it all as being troubled times. And we live in troubled times. We live in days of great turbulence. The Lord was describing days of turbulence here. And there are four aspects to these times of turbulence. There was, first of all, the siege in the fall of Jerusalem. And here in the Olivet Discourse, the Lord foretells the destruction of Jerusalem by the Romans. And this event took place in 70 AD. It is beyond dispute that Luke wrote these words before 70 AD. It is beyond dispute that Matthew and Mark wrote their words before 70 AD. And yet the Lord told precisely what would happen in that momentous year in the calendar of the Jewish people. In the verse 6, he says, the great temple that the Jews took such pride in, there won't be left one stone upon another. The whole thing would be thrown down. He said in verse 8, Take heed that ye be not deceived, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ. The Jews had this misguided belief they could take on the Romans and defeat them. And there were many coming amongst them and saying, I am the Messiah, I am the Deliverer. We'll win this battle, we'll win this victory. But it was all a deception, for they had already rejected the true Messiah. The verse 20 talks about Jerusalem being compassed with armies. The verse 21 is a warning to take flight to the mountains. And indeed, we know that relatively few Christians suffered in the siege of Jerusalem, even though perhaps one million Jews were killed by the Romans. It was a terrible, bloody, and horrific siege, one of the most horrific sieges in all of history. Yet relatively few Christians died because they had the words of the Lord to flee to the mountains. And then in verse 24, he talks about people falling by the edge of the sword, being led away captive into all nations. We have the dispersion of the Jews throughout the whole world foretold by Christ. It was a most seismic event. In the whole history of Judaism, it was the most catastrophic event. The siege and the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, the scattering of the Jews. It was a troubled time. You cannot go into all the significance of that now, but of course it has a gospel significance because God was showing the Jews that their way of salvation was over. 
The temple was over. The sanctuary was over. Sacrifices were over. It was done with. The priesthood was over. Christ had come. That was certainly part of the significance. But C.H. Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher in London, he said that the siege of Jerusalem was a rehearsal for the second coming. It was such a dramatic event that the Lord ties the two events together here. For part of this prophecy is for the siege of Jerusalem. Part of it is for the second coming. And the second coming will be an even more significant event because that will relate to the whole world. But as Judaism in its state at that time just came to an end, and the times of the Gentiles dawned, that was God saying, I can put my fingerprints upon the history of the world and I can change things, for I am God. That's what the Lord was saying here. But yet in these dreadfully troubled times, the Lord was saying, lift up your heads to his people. You can have peace. He talks about persecution. He talks about Christians being persecuted. If you look at verse 12, he talks about Christians being delivered to synagogues, to prisons, being brought before kings and rulers. He talks about Christians being betrayed by members of their own family. He talks about them in verse 17, being hated of all men for my name's sake. And of course, the Romans persecuted Christians with the intention of driving Christianity to extinction, but they failed. But in the midst of those years of persecution, God's cause continued to go forward. For Christ had told his people to lift up your heads. He talks here about upheaval in the political world, in the natural world. In verse 9, he talks about wars and commotions. Verse 10, he talks about nation rising against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Verse 11, he talks about earthquakes and famines and pestilences. And we, we see these things. These things are part of the fabric of the world, this broken world, this world that's in ruins because of sin, this world that suffers the curse. We see the earthquakes, we see the volcanoes, we see the, the famines, the pestilences, we see dreadful things. And yes, we do see wars, and we do hear of rumors of wars. I just saw a message that one of my colleagues sent out this afternoon, photographs of lovely young people with their children in Odessa, in Ukraine. But these families had been decimated just now at the start of March. Russia had sent drone strikes over Odessa, and an apartment block was demolished, and a mother and her little baby were found. She was holding on to her little baby. And in the very next room, all the members of the family survived. You think of all of that and what's going on in the world and the turbulence, the trouble. It's a fearful time, but yet still the Lord says, lift up your heads. For the psalmist said, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore will not we fear that the earth be removed, will the mountains be cast into the midst of the sea? Be still and know that I am God. Hope for troubled times. And then he talks about this period immediately preceding the return of Christ. And this will be the most dramatic moment of all. Signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. The very universe will be sending out these signs that something is happening. 
Men's hearts will fail them for fear. The powers of the heavens shall be shaken. And then they shall see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with great power and glory. But those who are prepared will lift up their heads for redemption draweth nigh. Let's also think about the forward anticipation here. We are living in times when the Christian church in the Western world appears to be in defeatist mode. Christianity is retreating. We know that. Secularism is on the march. Atheism is rampant. Our freedoms are being eroded. There's been a decline in Christian morality. Evangelical churches, many of them are struggling. And as a result, we're in defeatist mode. It's as if God will never revive His church again. It's as if there will never be a driving back of the strongholds of Satan. And because of that, we lack faith and we lack prayer. And we lack confidence in God. We act as if God is dead. We don't subscribe to theology, but our heads are down. And that's not what the Bible tells us today. The Bible tells us that whatever is happening in the world, however sinful, however dark the times seem to be, Jesus is coming again. And remember that passage we preached on just a few Sundays ago. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Therefore, the Christian needs to be bright and the church needs to be confident. We have a message to put out to this perishing world. It's a message of hope, but it's a message of warning that Christ is returning. Men and women need to be prepared for that moment because whatever happens, the people of God are at peace. Let's also think about the present reality. Let's think about this moment of the return of Christ now. Just this moment in time when Christ returns. It will be a present reality. It's not a present reality now, because we're not at that moment. And we don't know when that moment will come. We can't judge when that moment will come. The person who says he can judge is foolish. No man knoweth they are. The Lord taught that. But it will become a present reality. It'll be as real as this moment in time that we're in now. Except all will have changed forever. Christ will have returned. There is no one, no one, who will not be a witness to the return of Christ. Every one of us in this building It'll be a present reality for us when Christ returns. I'm not saying we're going to be alive when the Lord returns or by alive. I mean that we won't have died. We'll be alive all right. The return of Christ may take place decades or even centuries after we die. But we're going to be there. For the Bible tells us that. Every person in all of history, every person, from Adam right down to the very last child born in the history of humanity, that whole gathering will be united for the return 
of Christ. We're not going to miss the spectacle. Over in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul talks about this. And he says in the verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Right, okay. So those that have died in Christ are going to be raised. Now, that's a lot of people. That's every person who has known Christ from throughout all of history will be raised first. So Christ will come. There'll be the shout, the sound of the trumpet, all of these signs and wonders in the universe the Lord has talked about. And then the graves will open. And the souls that have been in the presence of the Lord with Christ, those souls will be reunited to their bodies. The bodies, many will be as dust. Some will be skeletons. Some will have been burned. They'll be ash. Some will have decomposed in depths of the ocean. They're all going to be raised. So every Christian from all of history will be there when Christ returns. And then we read in verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So every Christian that's alive in the world at that time, they will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. And you have this sight of the Lord and the saints of all ages, gathering in the sky, in the clouds of glory, it's a great reunion. It's a thrilling spectacle. We're all going to experience it, every one of us. What about those who aren't saved? Are they going to witness it? Well, yes, they are. They're most definitely going to witness it. What about people who aren't saved and have died? They've been buried. Will they witness it? Yes, they will. Over in the Gospel of John, chapter 5, and in the verse 28, the Lord said, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming, and the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. So we know that no voice can wake the dead, but Christ's voice can. These people won't want to be wakened. It would have been better for these people if their souls had continued to feel the burning flames of hell throughout eternity than to be reunited with their bodies. And they will be reunited with their bodies. There will be a resurrection. All that are in the graves will hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life, they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So those that have known Christ will be raised to meet the Lord in the air, but those that don't know Christ will be raised for judgment. For judgment. Given a body fit to be judged. The Christian given a new body fit to enjoy the delights of eternal life. Joys that we couldn't even bear in this world, couldn't experience it. But the unbeliever will have a body fit to experience pain that we couldn't even begin to measure. Pain that would cause one to pass out here in this life, but there'd be no passing out in the world to come. And so here you have the separation the Lord talked about. The separation between the sheep and the goats. Those on the one hand 
will be gathered to eternal life. Those, on the other hand, will be sent away to the lake of fire forever. And everybody's going to be there. And you're going to be there, and I'm going to be there. And that's why I say, preparation must be made for this moment. Preparation must be made. How wasteful, how foolish to go through life and not make preparation for this time when you're going to meet God. The Bible says, every eye will see him. I read a foolish comment by somebody that every eye will see him. (laughs) We've got the modern technology. People will be sitting in their TV screens and, oh, there's Jesus coming. What a lot of nonsense. Do you think God needs a TV for people to see Christ? Not at all. The Lord will come. And I cannot begin to explain how it's going to happen, but wherever you live, whether it be Southern Hemisphere or Northern Hemisphere, or West or East, China or America, Russia or India, everyone's going to see him. And there'll be that summons to meet the Lord. It'll be a present reality. But let's, fourthly and finally, think about this moment as being the the climax of redemption. Because the Lord said here in this verse 28, lift up your heads for your redemption draweth nigh. So what is redemption? Redemption is deliverance. It's the setting of the captive free. That's what redemption is all about. And as Christians, we know what it is to be redeemed. It is to know that Jesus Christ has shed his precious blood as the price for our sins, and that our sins are covered and put under that blood, and we have peace with God. That's what it is to be redeemed. But it might surprise you to know that our redemption is not complete. Even now, it's not complete. Because the Lord is saying, your redemption draweth nigh. There is a part to this redemption that has not yet been finished. And what is that part? Well, we know that our souls, we are justified. We know that we have the righteousness of Christ. We know that we are adopted into the family of God. We know that Jesus Christ paid the price for every last one of our sins. So what has not been finished? It's the body. The body is a sinful thing. It's a dying thing. It's a decaying thing. The body has upon it the very marks of the curse. We see it every day. We look in the mirror and see the gray hairs and see the wrinkles appearing and feel the creaks and the groans of the body. We're marching to the grave because we're suffering from the curse. But Jesus Christ didn't just die for the soul. Jesus Christ also died for the body. Paul in Romans 8 talked about the redemption of the body. Paul also in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he talked about this moment when the mortal will put on immortality, when death will be swallowed up in victory, when a world of death will be left behind, and when we will be forever with the Lord. This is the redemption that the Lord is talking about here, the final deliverance. We live in a world of suffering and a world of pain, a world of drugs and hospitals and all these necessary things that we need, a world of suffering. 
But whenever the Lord returns and we experience the climax of redemption, even the the old world will be redeemed. There will be a new heaven and a new earth wherein dwelleth righteousness, where there will be no graveyards and no tears, and where God will wipe away the tear from every eye. It's going to be a thrilling thing. And this is what's really going to happen. And it's all because Jesus died, because he said, Lift up your heads, your redemption draweth nigh. And every time I think about redemption, I think of the blood of Jesus Christ shed for sinners, shed for rebels, shed for me. Whatever we're going to have in eternity, it will all be because of the Lamb who was slain on Calvary's cross. All because of those wounds in his hands and in his feet. All because of that crown of thorns that punctured his brow. But all because... In those three hours, he experienced the darkness, the pain that our sins deserve. And he cried out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And Isaiah said that he saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. And he is thrilled because he brings many sons to glory. And that's the work that he is doing. Preparing a people for eternity. It's a great day that's going to dawn. The contrast with that which the unbeliever will suffer is beyond words. The darkness, the grief, the pain that never ends. For those who squandered their time not making preparation to meet God. What are you doing with your time tonight? What are you doing with this moment the Lord has given to you. What are you doing with these last few moments of this meeting? What are you doing? What are you thinking about? What's filling your mind? Why are you not concerned about judgment day? Why are you not concerned about meeting God? Why are these things of so little relevance? How can you be so dead? How can you be so foolish? To act as if there is no God. Oh, you say, I do believe there's a God. No, you don't. If you really believed there was a God and knew who that God was, you'd be crying out even now for salvation. So why are you not? Because you want to hold on to your sin. And you want to hold on to your pride. And you will not come to Christ that you might have life. I pray that tonight that might be reversed. That you will come to him. For the invitation is still with us. The day of opportunity has not passed. Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Let's bow for prayer. You're here without Christ tonight. Will you lift up your heart? We talked about lifting up the head. Lift up your heart to Christ, the Redeemer. Do it now. Lord, save me. Save me, Lord. Save me from my sins. Will you do it? If you have done that, if you're concerned, I'll be here. I'll be in the minister's room. You come and talk to me. Get this business settled tonight. For how do you know but your soul might be drifting over the deadline tonight? And I can't say that that won't happen. So as far as I'm concerned, this is the only moment when you can ever come to Christ now. What will you do with Christ? 
Lord, write your word upon every heart. For Christ's sake. Amen. Let's sing this closing hymn. There be no dark valley.